Almighty God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you. Amen. So last week, um, as we've started this journey um, with Jesus being arrested, um, he was taken before the high priest, and after he spent one night uh, in a cell, which is really just this pit down in a hole where he would have been lowered by a rope being around him into this very small room. Now early the next morning, those religious leaders are taking him to Pilate. I remember as a kid wondering uh, who Pilate was and what did he pilot? Did he pilot a boat? Did he pilot a plane? Uh, look, I wouldn't say I was the brightest kid, but, but anyway, I was inquisitive. Uh, but I learned later that what he was was a, a Roman procurator, which means that he took care of things for Rome there in that region, that he would have been in charge of the financial affairs of the land. He would have been the imperial governor of that minor province. Uh, he would have been the one that made the rules and upheld the laws of Rome. Uh, not all pilots were bad people, but this one was, in a lot, lot of ways, very mean-spirited. He had been placed in this role by Ananias, uh, his father-in-law. His father-in-law had been the pilot before him. Pilot would not be the name, but would be a title. Uh, but he was very mean-spirited, a hard ruler. He was scorned by the people. You know, Matthew and, and Luke and, and Mark kind of paint us a picture of Pilate as if he really didn't want to be there, as if he, when he talks about washing his hands, if he didn't really want to, to be the one to do this. But I think we see here in John a different thing, a different person. We see what I think is, is really more truth, that he was driven by his political aspirations, that he was driven uh, to uphold the Roman law, and that he was even driven to humiliate the Jews in whatever way he could. And this whole scene, this whole piece of scripture takes place where Pilate is outside with the religious leaders, and then Pilate comes inside to talk to Jesus, and then he goes back outside when he needs to. So after they have brought Jesus to him, he's asked them, what are the charges? Why have you brought Jesus here to me? He waits for that answer. Except they don't really answer that question. They just say, you know, if it wasn't really necessary, we would not be bothering you. We would not have brought this man to you. And then when Pilate, because he doesn't want to be bothered with this little religious squabble, tries to hand Jesus back to them, they say, oh, no, no, no. We can't put anyone to death. So they obviously are trying to portray Jesus as someone who's committed such a crime that he deserves death, but they don't want to take responsibility for that at all. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting uh, dance between the Roman, Roman government and the Jewish people. Um, the Jewish people would have been expected to uphold the Roman law, 
but yet they also were allowed to live with the Jewish law. And you may remember, I know you do, back in Exodus when uh, God gave Moses ten laws, ten commandments to live from. By this point, the Jews, by begging God and by other things, had taken those ten laws and turned them into over 600 <laughs> laws. Uh, you can see as a people, we've been looking for loopholes a long time. <laughs> and, uh, and so whenever we could find one, uh, they would just have to come up with a new law. But one law that they could not find a loophole in was that they weren't allowed to put someone to death. They weren't allowed to do that by the Jewish law. And so what they're doing is hoping that Pilate will find a way through the Roman law to have him put to death. And so they're saying that he is a threat because he's claiming to be a king. Uh, and Rome was always, always on the lookout, if you've ever done any history, for a king that may be trying to rise up and take any of their land, take any of their property, take any of their, their provinces or, or just their stuff. Uh, but Jesus wasn't that kind of king. Jesus wasn't a threat to Rome in the way that Rome thought, but he was a threat to the Jews and to the good church people at that day, the Jews, because he was beginning to change what people believed about God. Right. So then Pilate has to scurry back inside. Have you ever been caught between two people where you have to go over here and have this conversation, then you've got to come back over here and check on something, and you've got to keep going? I can already see Pilate's already tired of this. So he goes to Jesus and he says, so are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus does the thing that Jesus is most famous for. He doesn't answer the question. How many times in his ministry did that happen? When somebody asked him a very direct question and then he either asked another question or went off in what we would call a tangent for them to figure out what the answer was themselves. So he doesn't answer the question. And then he starts talking about a kingdom, but instead of talking about his kingship and that kingdom, he simply just tells Pilate what the kingdom is not. What the kingdom is not. It is not from here. It is not like your Roman kingdom. It is not like anybody else's kingdom. And the reality is, if it was, my people would be all over this place. And we'd be fighting you like crazy, and you would probably lose. But my kingdom is not from this place. So Pilate listens to that, and he thinks, well, hmm. And he says to Jesus, so you are a king. And, and Jesus, once again, does what he does, and, and he won't answer. Simple yes or no question, but instead, he begins to talk about why he was born and what he was there to testify to, who he was there to point the way toward. Jesus knew what his call was. He knew why he was on earth. He knew what his purpose was. And he wasn't going to let an earthly set of thinking hem him in to just being called a king. But he began to talk about how everyone who belongs to the truth listens to his voice. 
He talks in other places about being the good shepherd and about how the sheep listen and how the sheep follow. Jesus doesn't claim the title of king, but yet Jesus lives and claims as one who points people to the Father. In this talk about why he was born, Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. And then those who listen and follow me, those who listen to this truth, they're the ones that follow me. So then Pilate says, what is truth? But he didn't really want the answer to that. Because what does he do next? He just turns and goes back outside to the other guys. He doesn't hang around to see if Jesus says anything. So he goes outside and he says to the religious leaders nothing about whether he thinks Jesus is innocent or guilty. He just says, hey, we have this custom where I release somebody for you every year. So who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Jesus, who's the king of the Jews? You know, those, that's your people. Or do you want me to release Jesus Barabbas, who's abandoned, who is a, a, a political criminal, a, a guerrilla, who led an uprising and people died. Scripture tells us that they chose Barabbas. This person who led this political uprising against the Roman government, who we already know because of that is going to die. They chose that guy as opposed to Jesus Christ the king of the Jews, who's leading a spiritual uprising. And this, forgive me, this is where I kind of get excited about the story a little bit because there is so much here that I, that I think we don't, we don't always get. And part of that is we sanitized it, and, and Terry mentioned it just a minute ago. But this other guy, this bandit, this criminal, this person who absolutely has broken the law, his name is Jesus as well. And not only is his name Jesus Barabbas, but Barabbas means son of the father. <laughs> and so you've got these two people, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, Jesus Barabbas, the son of the father, one who is a guerrilla, a, a, a revolutionary, a, 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 a terrorist, if you will, in the Roman government's eyes. And the other is a guy who's just trying to help people understand that God loves them and God wants a relationship with them. And God wants them to love each other. And the Jews, the religious leaders, the, the church people in probably long robes, are so threatened by the fact that Jesus of Nazareth might change the world as they know it, that they would rather ask that a terrorist, a guerrilla, a person who we know is documented people were killed by would rather let him loose.
because in their mind the Savior is a greater threat than an insurrectionist. Changing people's spirits and souls is a greater threat than protecting them physically. Jesus of Nazareth was the threat and Jesus Barabbas was released. Last week we started this journey through Jesus' arrest, his trial. We will look at more of that trial next week. And we are headed to the cross. For those of us who have been parts of churches for most of our lives or even for a short time, we know where we're going, right? And we know that the journey is not pleasant. It's not easy. So what does this piece of that journey really say to us on this day? And I keep coming down to, you know, think about it. We make decisions all day long. What are we going to have for breakfast? Are we going to wait and have breakfast at the church and find that there's no food on the tray? Because Ricky's out of town. What are we going to wear? Where are we going to go this day? But a lot of those decisions that we make every day boil down to whether we're going to listen to the truth, who is Jesus, King of the Jews, or if we're not going to listen to the truth. Maybe fall in the camp of Jesus Barabbas. We have the choice every day whether we're going to choose to turn the world upside down or choose to keep it the same. Because that's really what was going on between the two Jesuses. Because Jesus Christ came to turn the world upside down and point anyone and everyone to the love of God and how to be saved from all the evil in the world. And the other one was just trying to live in that political world, fighting the Roman government like lots of people did. We have those choices every day. Some of them may seem pretty small, but some of them I think are big. And there are all kinds of issues that we see in the news every day that boil down to those decisions. So I'll just pick one for you. Let's talk about gun control. That's a choice we all have to make. Now I'm going to tell you that I am a former member of the NRA. There's a story behind why I am, but I used to be a member of the NRA. I've never owned a gun in my life. Larry has never been a member of the NRA, and he's got three. <laughs> Go figure that one out. But with all of these shootings and all of the violence in our lives, we are faced with a choice. And it might mean that we have to turn the world upside down by the choice we make. 
or we can just keep it the same. I'm not going to tell you which way you have to choose. I'm just tossing out those choices that we face each and every day that may not seem like they, they affect our little circle of life, but they do. Larry and I have a friend who's a preacher here in our conference. His name is Kurt Appel, and he was in England uh, for a time, and he went to worship one Sunday morning in a church that looked as stone and gothic as any castle that you might imagine would be in England. So, like you and I probably would also do, he had a vision of what worship would look like before he ever walked in the building by looking at that building. But as he came in the doors, he found that the church was completely packed. And there was the loudest Christian rock music blaring from the band at the front of the sanctuary that he had ever heard. But he also noticed that sitting on the back pew, next to back pew, were four or five older ladies, probably in their 80s. And that really intrigued him, because that didn't seem like their kind of worship, right? So he wound up having a conversation about, with them. And, and what, they, what they told him was their church had gotten down to just a few people. They knew they were dying. They didn't know exactly what to do about it. But as they talked and processed that together, they decided that they were going to make this choice be about Jesus and not about them. So it wasn't their favorite form of worship by any means. But they looked around the sanctuary and they could see a whole lot of people who were experiencing the love of God, the word of God, and the presence of God. And they couldn't think of any better choice they could have made. It's an interesting thing to me sometimes about choosing the way of God is that choosing the way of God doesn't guarantee a result. It doesn't always guarantee that things go the way we think they should go. Uh, Terry and I pastored two churches on the coast during Hurricane Katrina. My church was about 10 miles inland. And when Katrina hit, we had some damage to the buildings, but not much. Uh, but people began to call and wanting to come help. And, and after about a week, I, I got some of the leaders of the church together. And, and I said, I know you're used to me being your pastor. You're used to me visiting you. You're used to me leading Bible studies during the week. You're used to a lot of these things. But our world has changed right now. And what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to help people get back into their homes. We've got teams that want to come. And, and I have just enough knowledge of construction that I can help these teams. And that I can find them places to work and help them get the materials. And we could get people back in, in their homes. So we did. We began a three-year time period where we hosted about 800 people. We put 20 families back in their home. 
without me doing Bible studies, without me visiting. If there was a funeral, yes, I did that. Every Sunday morning, yes, I preached. But I became really a construction manager, a missionary for those three years. The interesting thing during those three years is that our average worship attendance tripled in size as we were out in the community. The church Terry Surge was one block off of the beach, and you can imagine it, it was flooded completely. Uh, but thankfully, it was a cinder block building, and so the first team that came to Nugent, we sent to Pass Christiane to clean it out, to muck it out, and to get it ready for more teams to come. And I was countless. We don't even know how many people mm -hmm. stayed in that church. 18 months. We would come down, and there would just be a team there we didn't even know was coming, and they were sleeping outside or sleeping in the parking lot. My brother came, and, and we built a, a, took a shed and turned it into showers for people to come. And there's just no telling how many families they put back into their home. But sadly, because of the age and because of the damage to that town, a lot of the members of the past didn't come back. And just a few years after Katrina, the past congregation had to shut their doors. And the conference had to sell the building. Both congregations made the right choice. Both congregations chose the way of God. But again, choosing the way doesn't always mean that we can predict the outcome. Oftentimes, choosing God brings pain, brings heart, hurt, and hardness. But it lets us still know we've chosen. So what about us here at St. Luke's? We have a choice to keep things the same, or we have the choice to turn the world upside down for God. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with our worship, Helen, wherever you are down there. But I'm saying that maybe we do need to ask ourselves that question. Are there ministries that we could start, should start, see a need for in the community that can bring about turning that world upside down. What about us as individuals? What will we choose when we are at work or in school or where we live or even the grocery store, the bank, when we have the choice to keep things the same or to turn the world upside down and be used by God. I have to tell you, I believe we already know that things cannot stay the same. Not just because if you look at statistics for the life of congregations, if everything stays the same, eventually they will close their doors. But about keeping things where we can choose to move with our community and reach out. I believe we already know where we need to stand up rather than keep silent and go for the status quo. I believe we already know how to be bold in our faith as opposed to choosing the same old thing. 
I believe we already know places where we need to put ourselves at risk instead of choosing the safe path. I wonder, could this be the day that we give ourselves to God fully? That we listen to the truth, we hand our hearts and our lives and our minds over to the truth. And could this be the day to risk who we are? To turn the world upside down for the love of God. Amen.